COVID-19 is changing everything, literally overnight. How will this affect your business, your career? Will you literally shut down your work, your life, in the hopes that this will all pass over in just a few weeks? Or is it likely that this global pandemic will forever change how you deliver and how your customers consume services, entertainment, or sports? If you haven't been doing any black swan events or you're not a business prepper, then hunker down and tune in for this timely podcast. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Innovation Driven Growth Podcast. Here we examine what enables true creativity, how to convert ideas into innovation, and seek out what ignites enterprise-wide growth. I'm your host, entrepreneur, strategist, and muser of metacognition, David Peterson. Well, we're all waking up to a new normal. Every day, there is more evidence of quarantine. I just saw a report of a new drink called the Quarantini. Apparently, gin, Ryan Reynolds' gin, actually, and emergency, you know, that powder that has a lot of extra vitamin C, the Quarantini. Now, to be fair, the maker of emergency has disavowed this as an appropriate elixir if you are sick. But no question, everyone is having to adjust to new methods of work and play and entertainment. And as I think about these changes, it makes me wonder how many businesses really planned for this? How many businesses over the past, I don't know, six months, 18 months, 36 months, actually sat down and planned out what would we do if there was this, something that was shutting down business after business after business that was having such a cascading negative impact. Now, I'm very fortunate. I get the chance to do four to six strategic planning events every year as a facilitator. And one of the exercises I frequently do at planning sessions is called a black swan event. In a black swan exercise, you take a business scenario and you sort of ideate on an extreme example that would create an, a hugely negative impact for that business. An example might be if you were a dry cleaner and overnight the government banned all solvents that are currently used to clean clothes. What are some of the ideas of how you might sustain your business services in the face of losing a critical element that actually is the essence of making your business work? Now, if you were a dry cleaners and you did that ideation, even if the specific negative event, the, the removal of all of these chemicals, didn't actually occur, just the fact that you were working through ideas of how to address a specific black swan event would make you more prepared for any kind of black swan event. By the way, just a little aside here, sort of a little extra note. It's called a black swan event because a black swan is supposed to be 
like so incredibly rare. So you see all these white swans. And so a, a black swan was this, oh my gosh, I can't believe a black swan. Well, we now know that there are plenty of black swans. Uh, in fact, down in Australia, there's tons of black swans. So uh, it just goes to show you that some of these things that we use in our lexicon don't necessarily hold up over the test of time. But you know what? You know what does hold up over time? Planning for a catastrophic event. So here's my question. How many of you listening to this podcast can say that you have spent time working on planning for a black swan event? If you can't raise your hand and say, yep, that's me. We're ready to go. We've got it all figured out. Then keep listening. Now, let's just take a look at some of these industries that are immediately impacted by this COVID-19. And of course, the quarantines are to reduce this, this whole issue that large crowds of people, you know, become an incubator for this thing. So we got we to gotta cut down on these groupings where a lot of people are together. So one of the things that is, uh, is something that's been a part of my life for decades are meetings and conferences. A meeting, you know, could be just a small group of people that are meeting. Two companies can have a meeting in a fairly small boardroom. But a lot of times these meetings or gatherings might be many dozens of people. And certainly if you talk about conferences, those could be in the several hundred to the many thousands. As a professional speaker, the spring and fall represent sort of two seasons for speakers. Uh, nearly all of what a speaker may make in, in an entire year gets kind of compressed into sort of the first season of March through May, and then again, September through November. And this kind of makes sense. You know, the wintertime, there are certainly, yes, there are conferences, but, but you know, not, not as many. Certainly there's the Christmas, you know, from, say, Thanksgiving, you know, all the way through till when it starts to, you know, get warmer. And then, of course, the summertime, a lot of people are, are taking vacations. So it just kind of gets compressed. Well, every conference that I was planning to attend or was featured as a speaker has been canceled. Now, the ripple effect on the hotels and the airlines and the restaurants and the service workers and the people who go and set up booths at conferences and on and on and on, you know, that ripple effect is going to really be felt throughout the entire industry. But conferences are places where attendees learn new information. They listen or even engage in spirited debate. They interact with fellow attendees. They learn about new products and services from vendors, many of whom are there and pay money to be there in order to interact with attendees. Does the fact that these conferences are rightfully canceled because of COVID-19 negate the need for those activities to occur? No. They still absolutely need to have access to that information. So, how is that going to work? How is uh, how are we going to get that? And in a very similar situation is what's going on with education. So, you know, it started with the colleges and universities, but now most every school system has turned out their students. The colleges and universities are telling the students, get out of the dorms. They're shutting everything down and they're turning to online sessions for the completion of the spring semester. Now, public schools, you know, elementary, uh, uh, junior high, high school, it's not really so much oriented towards online, but some institutions, uh, particularly colleges, universities, tech schools, um, have been preparing for this transition 
for many years. And, and some of them have a robust online class curriculum and a learning environment and all of the things that go along with that virtual education environment. And they're going to fare a lot better than those who hadn't really embraced online learning yet at all. So outside of certain classes where you might have to have some kind of hands-on lab, so think chemistry, biology, physics, stuff like that, is learning in a group environment really necessary for a student to be able to master the material? For most of the classes, the answer is probably no, right? And as I've shared in a, in a previous podcast, it's, it's very possible that tomorrow's students will be more likely to accumulate knowledge via many online sources and really never go through the formal process of getting a college or university degree at all. And that, that's a big challenge for universities. So in-person conferences have tried to address this by sort of stepping a toe into live streaming events. So they're going to have a physical conference, but they also set up streams so that at least some portions of the actual conference can be viewed by somebody online. But when I talk to meeting planners, most are very hesitant to really embrace live streaming out of fear that it's going to cut into their paid physical attendees. Remember, a lot of their budget comes from vendors who come and want interaction with those. And so if you sort of take them out of the mix into a virtual conference, then they're saying, well, that that is a huge budget hole that we have. And, you know, if people could just stay and attend the conference virtually, they won't come at all. So now how, how am I going to you know, cover the overhead of this hotel and, uh, you know, these meeting rooms and it's catering and all, all that, all that stuff. Super important. And I greatly feel that uh, meeting planners who put on these meetings are wildly underappreciated in the entire industry of, of conferences. They have to deal with all of that. But now we're faced with a situation where the conferences just are automatically being shut down. It's not really even a question. It's, we can't do it because there's too many people crammed into a small space. So the fear of this loss from the status quo is kind of inhibiting or had been inhibiting really embracing these innovative alternatives. Well, guess what? That in-person conference just got canceled. So is that really the choice? Do the in-person meeting or cancel it? Why aren't more organizations who are facing these cancellations pivoting and saying, this is the time for us to roll out a virtual conference. It's a reasonable alternative that is available now, a virtual conference. And just the fact that they haven't really done that much with live streaming to four doesn't mean that it shouldn't be something that they are actually and aggressively pursuing. And I'm not just talking about live streaming of, you know, a few events or whatever. Everything that's a part of a physical conference could be done in a virtual event, in a virtual event. So um, I have two really good friends, Aaron O'Donnell and Michael Beer. They're the founders of Bankers Hub. And I've, I've worked with them over many, many, many years providing you know, education. And they have worked extremely hard over the past five years or so to enable virtual conferences. Now, all of the elements of a conference can be served up in an interactive online environment. And their focus is really on the financial services industry, but any conference in any industry 
can effectively convert a conference that's facing a cancellation into a virtual event. Now, even if that organization really hasn't done their black swan, they haven't adequately planned, you know, for what we <laughs> what we now call COVID-19, they didn't specifically plan for this, there's still an opportunity to not let the virus leave your organization on the sidelines. How would you um, how would you come up with a plan right now to engage customers and members in a virtual environment? How hard would it be for you to take that important first step to virtualize even just one little tiny part? Instead of just saying, it's the virus, we're shutting it down, why not at least start something that takes you on a path of innovation to get a virtual event or a portion of a virtual event out there for your customers or members. All right, let's talk about some other kind of events where crowds tend to occur, like concerts and sporting events. Within a 48-hour period, virtually every college and professional league shut down their systems. Concerts canceled or postponed. Um, basketball, March Madness, the tournament was, was was right around the corner. And literally within 48 hours, it was completely all a go to, okay, we'll play the games with no fans, to canceled altogether. All happened in two days. Just the loss of the final four games is $100 million not flowing in for the city of Atlanta. And again, what's the ripple effect? Event staff. Now, not serving food and drink, merchandising, lost, hotels, restaurants, and on and on and on. It's devastating. But guess what? There's a growing online component of entertainment and sports. Now, if you're over 40 or maybe like me, 59, <laughs> you may not even be aware of it its existence. And, and I have to admit, I was not aware of how big this was getting online, but I'm talking about online streaming. Now, most people think of streaming of online movies and TV shows and series from organizations like Netflix or H HBO to go, that sort of thing. The new Disney Plus, so on and so forth. What I'm talking about are individuals who create content and then stream it on services like Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, and Mixer. Well, what is this content? It can be what you might think of as a blot or a, or a podcast with a, some specific topical thread that ties together the content over a period of time. Or it could just be somebody with an engaging rapport that, that builds a following, often by saying and doing crazy things. So I'm a baby boomer, and I guess I don't really have the right perspective to judge what is crazy. But millennials and Gen Zs are all about this activity, and they plug in to their favorite streamers just to hear or see what they'll do next. I was recently talking to an attorney friend who needed to borrow the cable box from his upstairs area where his college-age kids congregate with their friends to watch TV. He was shocked to find that the cable box wasn't even connected. What were they doing up there for the 18 months that the unconnected box was sitting there? He knew that they were watching something. Well, guess what? They were online streaming 
maybe some programs, maybe some sports, but most likely they were plugging into their favorite content providers through something like Instagram or Twitch. Now, what about sports? Are you, are you sad that your favorite college or a pro sporting event is canceled? Well, did you have an idea and an inkling about the robust world of online esports that are available? Yep. You can join an online forum with all kinds of online gaming. The user experience is pretty spectacular, and it has almost all of the elements that you would expect from a traditional in-person event. There's team mascots, there's healthy competition, there's plenty of trash talking and other banter between the teams. And people pay to watch online gamers duke it out on the internet. Does that all sound crazy to you? Listen, before you pass judgment, go check it out for yourself. I would go out and just go to www.twitch.com and go take a look at what you see online. Just experience some of those. And if you if you want to find uh, another thing, maybe on the on the esports standpoint, check out Fight to Fund, hashtag fighttofund.org and see what's going on relative to the online gaming world. You know that fight to fund, that sounds like that sounds like charitable giving. Well, what's going on with charitable giving? Think about the organizations that hold annual galas that in many cases might be 75 up to 90% of their fundraising for the entire year in this one big in-person event. But just like concerts and ball games, these events are now being canceled. No dinner, thanking patrons for their contributions. No keynote speaker entertaining or informing the crowd. No silent or live auctions. No pledges for supporting the good works planned for the coming year. It doesn't matter whether it's the Humane Society, the Mission Society, or the Dead Poets Society. The, the cancellation of an annual fundraising gala will have a devastating effect on that company's and organization's ability to continue to provide their services. How can these charities, how can these nonprofit organizations innovate around these bans on group meetings? Well, let's take a, a part of that playbook from, from our virtual conference world. Why can't we create and hold a virtual gala? A virtual gala. It could have all of the elements of a physical gala, with the possible exception of a meal, which, come to think of it, may be the worst part of the gala anyway. And it can be done in a live, online environment. Meet and greet, a keynote speaker, auctions, the report of how the organization is doing good work, and, of course, fundraising. All of this can effectively be done in a virtual gala. But you know what? It will take vision, foresight, and maybe just a little black swan preparedness for an established charity to be bold enough to take the step to not cancel their gala, but virtualize it. So how could you make a virtual gala a reality? Well, there's an Atlanta-based company called Soft Giving, and they're creating that virtual gala that I'm talking about. 
Now, Soft Giving's focus is on new and innovative ways to raise money and to excite new and younger donors to give to charities, and it places them in a perfect position to assist charities as they migrate from physical galas to an online version. Now, long-term, the future of galas may be limited, and if there's a silver lining to COVID-19, it, it will be that organizations that are clinging to outdated models of business such as using a senior, single annual event to raise funds, will start to pivot towards online virtual events. Organizations like SoftGiving are actively engaging with the online entertainment and esports that I mentioned earlier to engage millennials and Gen Zs to give to charities. Streamers are raising money from their followers in ways that you won't even believe. Recently, a streamer raised $5,000 in 10 minutes by getting 500 followers to pledge $10 each to watch him eat a whole lemon online. Yeah, you heard me, to actually eat a lemon live online. Now, if that sounds like a carnival sideshow to you, you may not be wrong, but it's real. And the crazy part is it doesn't really matter what the charity is. These engaged young people just want to donate to a good work. And by actively engaging these streamers, soft giving is able to generate donations for charities from a constituency that those charities would almost never be able to reach. And we talked about esports. So soft giving is sponsoring online sports teams and events in much the same way that Nike sponsors professional sports. Have you ever brought two canned goods to a, some kind of ball game and received a t-shirt because you're supporting the local food bank? Well, esports teams can raise money from their avid followers. And since it's sports, you can be sure that the competition to raise more money is just as strong as, say, winning at Dota 2 or Fortnite. COVID-19 is going to sideline a lot of people for weeks. Hopefully, it will pass into a dim memory, and by summertime, all of this craziness will be over. But it's also possible that the pandemic will change behaviors forever. Regardless of your business or your career, it's likely that how you deliver and how your customer or members consume services will be forever altered. Are you committed to making an innovative pivot now? Will you wait it out in the hope that everything returns to normal? Or will you engage in an immediate black swan exercise and determine what could be virtualized immediately? The future of your enterprise may just depend on your doing exactly that. Now, I mentioned Bankers Hub. If you'd like to get in touch with them, it's Aaron O'Donnell and Michael Beard, and you can reach them at www.bankershub.com. And I also mentioned Soft Giving. Matt Falsecraft is the CEO, and you can find out more about Soft Giving at www.softgiving.com. I encourage you to go online and investigate. Reach out to them. You can find them on LinkedIn and many other social channels. You can uh, reach out to me, and I would gladly put you in touch with them if you feel like your organization is ready to make that move and you want to talk with somebody who knows how to make this work. 
I want to help you and encourage you to not let this wave of inactivity sweep over you and potentially damage your business or your career forever. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. And I look forward to having you back soon. Thanks again for investing your valuable time listening to the Innovation Driven Growth Podcast. I covet your questions, comments, or critique. You can reach me at david at davidpeterson.com. I'm also on Facebook at DP Speaks and everywhere else on social media at DLP Speaks. I look forward to hearing from you and be sure to look for a new episode soon.